0: What's up, everybody? This is John Odermatt, the host of Felony Friday. And before we get rolling into today's show, I want to take a quick moment to talk about coffee. That's right, coffee. The Lions of Liberty, we have partnered up with Anarcho Coffee, and we are selling our very own coffee. It's called the Morning Roar. It is a medium dark roast that has cupping notes of lemon, lime, caramel, black pepper, and brown sugar. It is delicious. You can pick up some of this coffee by going to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee. We have a, a way there on your first purchase. You can get 10% off, but if you join the pride for $10 and up, you can actually get more than that. You can get 15% off every single order. Buy some coffee support the Lions of Liberty, support another great libertarian company as well. Everybody wins. lionsofliberty.com slash coffee.
1: Welcome to Felony Friday, a
0: presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, this is not the only show on Lions of Liberty. No, no, we have three—or sorry, two other shows. This is the uh, the third show of the week. We start the week on Monday with a show hosted by Mark Claire. It is our flagship program, our longest-running program, where Mark interviews leaders in the, in the libertarian movement. He also hosts roundtable discussions from time to time and, and digs deep into uh, disagreements, political and ideological of, uh, of, in nature. On Wednesday, we got Electric Liberty Land, hosted by none other than Brian McWilliams, your favorite bald libertarian comedian where Brian digs into comedy, culture, liberty, anger, martinis, I don't know, all kinds of different things. And of course, Friday, Felony Friday, where we take a look at this broken criminal justice system. You can get all three shows in your Podcast feed delivered to that little phone in your pocket by subscribing wherever you uh, listen to podcasts. So definitely consider doing that. And if you do listen on Apple Podcasts, we really would appreciate it, or really anywhere you listen, but especially Apple Podcasts, please go over there, give us a five star rating, leave a nice review, say something nice about us. It helps with the little algorithm thingy that they do, which uh, puts our podcast in front of more people. So if you like what we do, if you like the ideas of liberty, you want more people to hear about it, then do that. If you don't, Then why are you listening to this? I don't know. Maybe you hate yourself. That's not for me to say. With that being said, today's episode of Felony Friday, this is a very important episode. And I have two guests on today. And really, it's a groundbreaking episode. I'm going to get into the details of it. But to give you a little bit of a teaser, my guests, they've both been to prison. And they are working on developing a reality show around what people go through during the transition from prison back into life on the outside, all the issues that they deal with. And uh, introduce my guests in a minute. Before I do that, I, I mean, there, there's a bunch of notes and things you want to read and uh, definitely want to check that out on the show notes page. You can find that at lionsofliberty.com slash FF180. So check out the show notes page. I'm excited for today's episode. Let's get into it. My guests today on Felony Friday are Taisha Huntsman and Francine Williams. Uh, they are both ex-felons and they both have some, uh, some pretty unbelievable backstories of what they've been through, obstacles that they've overcome in their lives. And we're going to get into all of that. Uh, something really cool that they're doing together is they formed a TV and film production company and... And they're currently in production of a reality show. It's called Life After the Feds, and their goal is to tell these stories and really show the struggles that ex felons go through um, from their release from the penitentiary as they're incorporating and uh, you know getting back into everyday life on the outside. So, Taisha and Francine, welcome to Felony Friday.
1: Hi, you. how are you?
0: Well, great, great to have you guys on, and this is a little bit different having uh, having two different guests on. I'm used to one guest, so I'll, I'll do my best to juggle back and forth. And uh, you know, feel free to you know if I ask one of you a question, and the other one wants to chime in on it, just just jump in. I mean, don't wait for me to you know call on you or, or ask the question directly okay. to you. Just you know, okay. just jump on in and and uh, and and you know insert yourself so we'll start with uh taisha first you know if you could uh, give my listeners here a little bit of background on yourself so what i'd like to do the the, sort of the introductory question if you could just talk about sort of where you're from where you grew up just a little bit about yourself personally well
1: okay everybody i'm taisha i'm from Watts, california and um I grew up in a really, really tough part, Watts, in Los Angeles. This is a, like a city inside of Los Angeles. Um, it's very well known for, you know, violence and all of that type of stuff. So I grew up there as a kid. My my introduction to the juvenile system, well, to the prison system, was very, very young as a juvenile. I um, I was misguided. I would say. But at the time when I was a kid, I didn't realize that life wasn't like that. I was accustomed to living in violence and drugs and alcohol and abuse. And it is crazy because I thought about it today. I didn't really realize from a kid that I've been struggling with mental health issues pretty much all of my life. And the prison system I think that they don't address, that's something they need to address because instead of them giving me the type of help that I really needed, which was psychological, from a young age, they just threw me in jail. So that's just how um, I pretty much lived most part of my life. It's just being not listened to, but just put in prison. So, which led me to, um, I don't know, I, I I was surviving. To me, mm-hmm. I was just surviving in my community. This is, you know, a lot of things I had to do. I had to fight. Like I said, I had to struggle. And then the means of making money and and living life was selling drugs. You know what I mean? It's sad mm-hmm. to say, but that's what it was for me.
0: How, do you so, remember? Do you remember how old you were the first time that you were exposed to or you saw selling drugs, drugs being sold? Um, the
1: first time I remember, it, I probably was about six, seven years old, I remember an incident when we stayed in the Nickerson Gardens, a project, and Mm -hmm. I seen this man get beat really bad, like, right in front of me. I'll never forget the look on his eyes over drugs. And I was just terrified, and I just was looking, but, I mean, that's what life was for me. So, like I said, I thought that was the norm. I thought the rest of the world lived like that. But Mm -hmm. as I became older, and I realized it wasn't. So life has been a difficult journey for me. But at the same time, I look forward to the new beginnings, the things that I have learned and different people that I've met to realize, hey, life is good. It's some goodness in the world. (laughs) Right. Right.
0: Right. right. So we'll come back to that. We want to dig more into your story. But I want to give uh, Francine a chance to introduce yourself and and tell tell everybody out there listening a little bit about your background and, and where you're from.
2: Okay. Well, um, I'm Francine, um, also known as Teddy B. (laughs) But um, so I'm originally from Belize. It's in Central America. Um, I was born there. I came to California with my mom when I was about four years old. Um, We lived in, you know, South Central LA. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a couple years after that, my father came along. You know, I, to me, I had a pretty okay childhood, you know, but I started going through a lot of things with my family. You know, it was different. Like, Taisha's story, we come from two different places. You know, we both were here, but she was on a different side than I was. You know, I wasn't really exposed to a lot of, like, you know, violence and all that really at a young age. But I had a lot of problems within my family. And I had to internalize, you know, a lot of different things. And, you know, it made me push away from my family. I felt like I didn't have anyone, you know, And as a child, sometimes that's really hard to deal with. And Mm -hmm. just like Taisha was saying, you know, that's where mental health kicks in. You know, people think that it's because you have a a problem and it's not necessarily that. It's just a lot of issues that we internalize that we don't, you know, deal with them. And at that time, as a child, I wasn't able to deal with those issues. And, you know, I just internalized everything growing older. And, you know, as a teenager, um, you know, Like I said, I had different troubles at home with my family and ended up having to go out into the world at a young age. And, you know, that's when I kind of got exposed to a lot of different things. And, you know, I was experimenting with drugs and all just kinds of stuff. And, um, you know, later on in life, my mom, you know, she ended up getting breast cancer and she was like really, really sick. So that's kind of where. For me, things changed when I felt like I needed to step up to the plate. I had a lot of I have four younger siblings. So, you know, at that time I felt like, you know, you know, even though me and my mom had a really estranged relationship for a while, I felt like that was my time where I needed to step up and be there for my family because it was no one else that was gonna be there. And you know, that led me to make some really, you know, not so good decisions in my life and you know, that ended me having me go to federal prison Mm -hmm. and, you know, yeah, that's how I, you know, here I am today, you know, life gave me lemons. I made some really good lemonade from it. (laughs) Look at us now, you know, so I have to just embrace those things. You know, I used to be really kind of embarrassed of a lot of things that happened. Even me going to prison was kind of embarrassing for me. I really didn't want to talk about it. And then I thought to myself, like, who else better to tell my story than me? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm the one that can tell it the best. So, you know, and me and Mr. Huntsman, we actually met while we were incarcerated. We were bunkies. Now we're business partners. So,
0: <laughs> that's what know. I That's what I was going to ask you guys. Where, where yes, you met. So, okay. yes.
2: Yeah. So we met while we were incarcerated. We were here yeah. um, downtown at the federal holding facility. It's called MDC. And yeah, we met and, you know, we started a really great friendship. And I'm really glad that I met her despite of the circumstances, because we've really come a long way. I mean, I've seen so much growth within her over the years and it's just, it's a really good, you know, situation.
0: (laughs) So uh, how much time did each of you serve?
2: Well, technically for me, I had a split sentence, which Mm -hmm. was six months in federal prison and the other six months I had on house arrest at home. but. For me, I had never been incarcerated or never been in trouble with the law. So for me, it was still a lot. And regardless Mm -hmm. of whatever amount of time you serve, you still have to come home and start your life completely over. I couldn't go back to the job I had. I couldn't go back to, you know, I had to start all over. Mm -hmm. So it was really hard for me.
1: Yeah, for me, I did um, a little bit over. Well, total with the halfway house and everything I did, uh, over four years in federal custody. And I'm currently still really under federal custody because I have five years of um, supervised release. So I had a total mm-hmm. of years together. And um yeah, it's been two years this month since I've been out of federal custody, out of prison. And like I said, I'm on supervised release, hopefully that comes to an end soon, but the way the system is set up, uh, you know, they like to hold on to you for some reason. You know, they don't really let you go and be free. So it's mm-hmm. I, I still don't have freedom. I can't just get up and go wherever I want to go because I have to report to them and get permission and approval. And, you know, they just scrutinize everything that you do. They pop up to your job on un- <laughs> you know, a lot of people lose their jobs because of that. Um, the little... The littlest thing, you know, it seems like it will lead you back to prison. It not it not seems like, but it does. Mm-hmm. So you have to really walk very, very carefully. After the fact, you know, even after you've done your time, you still have to do more time. You know, so it's still difficult. It's, it's tough. What,
0: what would you each say is is the single? hardest thing you know in order to transition back in is it was it you know getting a job getting housing you know what 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 was the most difficult obstacle to overcome
2: for me it, it I feel like both of them both of those obstacles were hand in hand it was really hard for me to get a job when I first came back and you know I would fill out applications and people would meet me and you know they would love me like oh my goodness we you know we love your personality and you know we want mm-hmm. you here. But when it's time you get that job offer and you submit that criminal background check, then you don't get that call back. You know, it it was very discouraging for a long time. You know, I I felt like I was almost going into like a depression because I was really, you know, just sad about that. I'm like, you know, here I am. Here I am qualified. And, you know, and I just felt like people were really it was like a stamp on my back. Like I was out of prison, but I wasn't out of prison. It it Mm -hmm. still haunts me now, you know. So for, me,
1: for me, I've had instances where this one particular job, I met the people, I explained to the panel that, you know, I had a background. They was like, that's fine. Don't worry about it. But when it went to another lady, I think I ran into somebody like you, sir. And she was like, no, we can't have that. And she fired me. So I had to tell my probation off. She was like, but don't you have a job? I'm like, no, they fired me. She like, how did you get hired and fired? So now I'm explaining to her. I'm like, Listen, they look at my criminal background and they yeah. fire. And then also with housing for us in California, it's so expensive. So you have to think that think look at it. You come out of prison with nothing, and then you're trying to get a job that's hard to do. And then you try to find somewhere to live, but you can't afford to live nowhere. Because you don't have anything. You need at least seven, eight thousand dollars just to move into an apartment. And it's like, how do you do that? And that's where the stresses and then mm-hmm. with the mental health kicks in. It's so traumatic. You know, I see, I have counseling that I, a therapist that I go to gladly and willingly, even though I've ordered by the court to do so as well. But it's so hard. It's many a days that I felt like I wanted to give up. But then I, I, I remember being in a halfway house and seeing people who did give up who was, we, we were treated so horribly in, in the halfway house, it was worse than prison. And I, I see people just give up and they turn back to drugs or they turn back to a way of life to make them some money because they have nothing. So then they go back to jail. And I just, that gave me the courage to continue to fight just for them people. It's not just about me. I'm fighting for so many people out here across America, across the world, to even though it's hard, even though it's stressful at times I begin depressed. But I know that with me having belief and faith and being consistent and, and going and jumping over these hurdles, that it's gonna make a difference for somebody else's life. So that's really what life at the Defense is about.
0: Yeah, so let's let's talk about that. Because, um, I mean that's uh if I forget how long ago you, you reached out to me to so you, maybe it's last week or ten days ago or whatever, but um it's it's a really cool project that you guys are working on, um, really essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's it's going to be a uh, reality show, really showing the everyday life, the everyday struggle you guys are going through. So yeah. can you kind of talk about like the where the idea for that came from, the evolution of it, and, and just give some background well, on it?
1: Yeah, actually, um, Life After the Feds came about while I was in NBC Los Angeles, while I was in prison. I was sitting there, I thought about like, you know what, actually... I will watch shows uh, in prison. Just, you know, we watch TV. And it mm-hmm. was so much stuff about people being in jail and how they talked about people in jail, how they criminalized, how they dehumanize us, I would say. It just, we just look like crazy animals from their aspect of the way they show it to the world. And then we, there was no example on what to do when you get out. So I'm like, what am I going to do? I have a business, um, Southern Taco, that is my life after the feds. So I said, Well, if I could show how to get through the struggle and document it for other people to see, there could be somebody else sitting here in this seat that I'm sitting in and see that and give them hope to come out like, okay, wow, she did it. And this is how it goes. I'm not saying it's not, it's definitely a struggle, but just to show them how to overcome. How do you get past those obstacles? So that's why Mm -hmm. I decided to do this. That's where it came from, for me being in jail, just figuring out what to do when I get out. What, what, what is it going to look like? What is it going to feel like? I didn't know.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: that's where it came
0: from. To yeah. the same same reasons for you, Francine? Or what 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 motivated you to, to do this? <laughs>
2: well, um, you know, Taisha, she is the one that actually came up with the concept of the show. She's the creator. You know, I'm just help facilitate. I'm the facilitator, you know. But um, she came up with the concept. I mean, I've always thought it was really great and was always hundred percent backing her and whatever it is, you know, and I actually like I got out of prison before she did. But, you know, I kept in contact with her. I would, you know, write her or, you know, whatever little money I could, you know, put on her account. Mm-hmm. I, I would do it for her. You know, I was just trying to be like a friend. Even when I didn't have it, I tried to ma- have it to, you know, help her out because I know what it's like being there. And it's hard. You know, people mm-hmm. forget about you. You become lost. It was like, you know, And, you know, we've always remained really good friends. When she got out, you know, I... We, I would hang out with her. We would go to lunch. I would take her out, different things like that. And she was, you know, constantly telling me about the show. And initially, I was a little apprehensive. I was like, you know, I don't know if I want to do that because <laughs> I was embarrassed. You know, I was a little, mm-hmm. like, embarrassed to talk about it still because I didn't really open up to everyone about that. You know, she would always tell me, like, you know, your story is great. You know, you you can be an example for someone. Like, people love you. Like, you know, you, you need to get on board. Come on. Come on, girl. You know? And then I finally gave in and I was just like and that was probably one of the best decisions I made to get on board with her on the Life After the Feds. And um, you know, we've been doing really good and I'm glad, like I said, I decided to tell my story on my own. And, you know, like I said, I could tell it the best. So that's kind of how I got on board with Life After the Feds.
0: So so how's the show gonna be uh distributed or published or is it gonna be like a like a YouTube show or are you guys shopping it to to networks or what's, I mean, what's the plan for it?
1: Well, currently um, we, we're shopping it to networks, but I also want to make sure that um, we, I, we're we going independent. We might even do um, streaming like with Amazon or something like that. Because mm-hmm. a, a, one thing people don't know is about the networks. A lot of times they like to switch the story up and make it be what they want it to be. Just to be. For yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah. And I've heard that with, with that, they'll try to make they'll try to write a script for you, right? right.
1: Yeah. And yeah. we that's, don't want nothing that scripted, <laughs> we're not going to do that. You know, they want to put unnecessary drama with the fighting and all of that. We're, no, that's not going to happen. So, um, definitely remain independent. Like I said, it's, it's several outlets we can go to YouTube, um, Amazon, mm-hmm. you know, where we can stream it there, but we're going to do what's best for the viewers to see, to make sure that it's real and raw. And this is not scripted at all.
0: So the, the show will be the, the two of you and you also have um, others involved. Is that right? There's going to be. Right
1: here. We have so many different stories from all different walks of life. So it will entail um, the ins and out of our lives specifically me and Francine, but, also, um, the lives of many other people across this country. So it's kind of like a reality and docu series. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I will call it more of a docu series because it's going to document not just our lives, like I said, but several other people. And these stories that you're going to hear and the the triumph that's come out of them is so amazing. It is that's very. People have come out and really worked so hard to make a difference, not only for themselves, but within the communities that we come from. Because, like for myself, I was a part of not knowing at the time of the destruction that happened within my own community. So I'm going to make sure that um, I change that and I I, I work to fix my community. That's why we have founded the Life After Foundation Foundation which is going to help uh, formerly incarcerated people and their families to get them real resources. I guess Francine can speak to you a little bit more about that. Yeah.
2: So um, also... um In our partnership, uh, me and Taisha, we founded an organization. It's called Life After Foundation. Um, uh, You know, it's pretty much helping individuals that are formerly incarcerated with their transition back into society because that's like we we for me and her we experienced that without the help. You know, with and I think it's easier, not necessarily easier, but it makes you feel a little better when you're getting a little help from someone who's been down that road before. Yeah, yeah, And that, you know, I can tell you, like, I understand what you're going through. I've been there. You know, I've mm-hmm. been there. I'm still, you know, going through it now. My life after the feds continues every day. My record isn't going away. You know, it's still there. So, yeah. it's just, you know, like I said, you know, helping them with their transition back into society. We're very big on mental health s- services, so we do try to encourage any participant to, you know, go and seek those services. Mm -hmm. And we're also very big on like, you know, family reunification because, you know, I, me and Tysha, we both have children. So while we were gone, you know, coming back home, there is a disconnect between you and your child. You don't have, you're here, you've been gone all this time. It's, you know, that, that disconnect between you and your child. You're not working. You don't have any money. You know, you want to spend time with your kids, but you probably don't even really have the resources to do that. So, With that being said, you know, we're, you know, planning to host a lot of community engagement events where people, these people can come out, bring your kids. You don't have to worry about any Mm -hmm. money or anything. You guys can come and play and have a good time and, you know, just enjoy that time with your kids and your family because incarceration doesn't just affect the individual. It affects your family and everybody that has something to do with you. So, you know, it's just you know, like I said, coming from where we come from and the experiences and the road that we've walked down, we just want to be there, that helping hand to help the next individual on their transition.
0: And that's that's so awesome, and uh, you know, I think obviously the you know the criminal justice reform movement, um, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. uh, it's so cool that it is really there's. Within the past few years, sir, I don't know exactly when it happened. I, and I think really it's social media that's really the catalyst yeah. behind it. But you're seeing so many more people like yourselves who have spent time in prison who are really helping to to drive the change. You were saying, you know, I've experienced this. I've been through this. And that's exactly what needs to happen because you guys are really the only ones who can bring about not, – not necessarily um, – really changing the system. Unfortunately, we got to, we need some politicians to make those changes, right. but bringing the resources, you know, bringing right. the resources to people. And cause you, you know where the help is needed from, but uh, yeah, that's, I, I just wanted to point that out. And it, I think it does come back to really social. I mean, you guys reached yeah, out to me on, on Instagram. So
1: yeah, social media has really helped a lot in that aspect. And I think what we're really trying to get the, the, um, the politicians, the people that make the changes to understand mm-hmm. is you cannot just throw a person away and just that's it. Just lock them up. Just lock them up. Figure out what is what is the root cause of the problem. What needs to be done mm-hmm. inside the communities to stop this revolving door of prison? Absolutely. Why 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 does everything always just send them to jail? Just for the little thing, send them to jail. What really needs to be done? It's a lot that has to happen within the communities, within the families. And again, that's where mental health comes in. The stigma has to be taken off because for me growing up, we've seen like if people went to mental health, that is the crazy person. No, it's not that you're crazy. Mm -hmm. It's just that you probably don't have someone there to really understand what you're holding inside because me... For myself, I bottled up a lot of things inside. I kept all of my hurt, my anger, and my pain within myself. So when I found myself in circumstances with other people that got really heated and, you know, maybe an argument or something, I exploded and became violent. You know what I mean? I didn't know how to control those issues. I didn't, I couldn't tell nobody. Well, you know, I'm so angry and mad because I was beaten as a child. My parents really didn't love me, want me. I don't know what love feel like, so I don't know how to smile. People look at me such like I'm an angry person. I'm not angry. I just don't know how... I don't know really what happiness and love felt like. I just didn't know. So then I'm always looked at in a certain light, which made me even more angrier, which made me lash out a certain type of way. These right. issues... Be addressed, and if, if for my community, the black community, we have parents that did not deal with their anger issues. So, then you raise children that have anger issues? So it has to stop. And then for you me, have to I have break first, the cycle. Break the cycle. Yeah, I have four children. I have four children myself, and. Right now, I'm still transitioning to getting back into their lives and try to figure out how to love them better and to treat them in a matter to where I hear their voice. I let them talk and let them speak and tell me why they're upset with me because, you know what I'm saying? That way, they don't go out to be these angry children, bottling up the hurt and pain that I've caused on them because of the choices I made in my life. So that's why this is very important, the as a whole reform, let's reform the whole community, the
0: whole system as a whole. It is important. So I'm, I'm curious. So you both, it seems like probably somewhere in your past, maybe I don't know if it happened in prison or where it happened, but there was, there was sort of a turning point, right? Where, you know, some things started, started making sense for you, where you, I mean, where, where you got the, the motivation or the idea or the, the catalyst to, to start life after the feds. Um, what what really caused you or ca- you know this is to both of you caused you to to want to give back to want to make this change um is there is there something that because i mean a lot of people i'm sure go into prison and they do their time and they're angry and rightfully so i'm not judging anybody and they just get out of there and, and they're done with it so is is there something that like um that you can think of to point back to that really was a turning point that made you really want to give back and want to try to change to break this cycle?
2: Um, For me, it was, I think it was just really the separation from my daughter. You know, that was something that was really, really hard for me. Um, even when I talk about it now, it makes me a little, you know, because it's really, you know, I felt like, What I went through as a child and, you know, the things that I, you know, the emotions that I bottled up and, you know, I just never saw myself being away from my daughter. So when it happened to me, you know, when, when the feds came to, they came and like raided my house, I was coming home from work one day and they just like raided my house and my daughter and me, we were there together, you know, they took Mm -hmm. me in handcuffs. She's like crying and you know, all this stuff. And I was just like, I just could not believe that I had got myself into this you know, situation. And just, I feel, I really feel like a lot of the separation anxiety from her. I would cry a lot. I me, mean, you know, like me and Taisha were roommates and I would really cry. Like I would talk to her on the phone. They give you 15 minutes. 15 minutes is not enough for me to have a, you know, my daughter, no, she was used to having all of my time. Right. So now to put that limited, you know, that was really hard. I would get off the phone and I would, be sad and I would go in my you know in my cell and I would cry about those things because it would really bother me and I felt like you know what I was trying to stop myself from feeling as a child here I am now I'm putting things on my daughter for her to have you know certain feelings or you know a way about things and I was so you know I'm not gonna say embarrassed but I didn't even tell my daughter like she was four years old at the time and I didn't want to tell her that I was going to prison you know like it was just so like I didn't want to see her feel that pain. But in actuality, I was saying to myself that it was for her feelings, but it was for mine because Mm -hmm. it was just hurting me so much to, you know, say that. So, it was just really that that kind of really just opened my eyes. Like, this is not the place for me here, you know, and the treatment that I received there, you know, and or how I saw other people being treated. And just it was just not a good situation. And, you know, also because I wasn't born here, you know, when I actually was supposed to get released from federal prison, they ice came and picked me up. <laughs> because really? I, I, yes, because I, yeah. I wasn't a I wasn't a citizen at the time. So when you get a felony, you know, any type of felonies, they try to deport you back to your country. So they took me to, to Jenna, Louisiana, where they have an ice holding facility there. And, you know, when I left MDC, they transported me to FCI Aliceville. That's in Alabama, you know, the federal prison, they can send you to anywhere in the United States to do your time. Mm-hmm. So uh, here I am way in Alabama. I have no family here. No one's coming to visit me. You understand? It was really, th- th- those times were just really hard for me. And, you know, I made it out <laughs> and I don't want to go back. And, you mm-hmm. know, it like I said, coming home to and experiencing just all the, just the hard, the struggles of just trying to, you know, when I came home, I was on house arrest and they give you a bill for that. So you come home with no job. They put me on house arrest and then give me a bill and tell me I have to pay almost a hundred dollars a month for it's them like a to sick, keep track it's a sick to, joke. <laughs> yes, for for them yeah. to keep track of me. And I'm like, well, where deal? am I gonna get this money from? Where am I gonna get this money from? I don't have anything. I don't have anything right now.
1: Then for me, like she said, um, when I said in that, when I got to the federal prison. I I dug deep inside. I said, "What is going on with me? Why am I doing it? Why am I finding myself in prison, locked up?" And then I had children, four children, and my kids would actually um my one my daughter Ariana she would email me every day, and she told me that she wanted to because she couldn't be with me. She wanted to come uh, live in prison with me. So I was, excuse me, I'm sorry. It's
0: okay. It's okay.
1: (laughs) And for your kids that just want to come, they love me so much that they just wanted to come live in prison. It's like, why, how could, I have to do something to figure out what, why am I the way I am and change it? Because I know I'm a good person. Why am I make? why am I doing these things? It has to be a better way to live. You know it has to be a better way. So I just dug deep and I I did a lot of praying and I just soul searched. And I you know those letters from them, them phone calls that were so short but so impactful. I promised that I will make a change and I promised that I would do things so that these kids would wouldn't be so angry at society and to the world because of what I have done. And they didn't understand why they wanted to lock their mother up. Like I was the best person on the planet to them. Like why would they want to put my mommy in jail? What did she do so bad? You know? So I think about all of the women that was in there with me and men whose thousands and hundreds of thousands of children have been left behind with Mm -hmm. that hurt and pain. And maybe their parents didn't have a chance to really think while they were in there to change because the world in there is so crazy at times, you know, you don't really have a chance to sit back. Some people don't. Fortunately for me, I took that time to really evaluate myself, to change myself and to figure out why was I so hurt? And I let go a lot of my childhood hurt. I let it go. I left it there in prison because had I brought it back home with me again, I won't be where I'm at today. I wouldn't be able to stand up for other people. I wouldn't be able to stand up for my children and help them heal, you know. So that's why, you know, i have I make this decision to do what I'm doing. Yeah, excuse me, and I've just got to cut me emotional.
0: No, that's <laughs> it's that's okay. fine. And I it's mean, okay. I, it's okay. I'll tell you, I mean, you guys, you two are gonna make a big impact with life after <laughs> the feds. So I can I can tell. I mean, I can tell you right now with both of your personalities, how, how honest you are. I mean, I'm, I can't, I can't wait to see it. It's going to be, it's going to be you. big.
1: Thank um, you. <laughs> with,
0: with, with that being said, um, can you just tell people, I, I don't know if, I mean, you guys have an Instagram account. I don't know what, what else you guys have. Where can they find you? Where can they follow what you're, you know, what you're working on and the progress of the project and all that stuff? to um, hey, tell
2: them? <laughs> oh yeah.
1: Oh, okay. I'll tell them.
2: Um, they can find us on Instagram. It's life after the feds and it's life. Felt with a y so l-y-f-e after the feds and if they want to look up our website for our organization if anybody wants to make any donations or anything they can go to our website it's lifeafter.org. and like i said it's life with a y and yeah so <laughs> yeah they follow her teddy B. oh yeah you can follow my personal account as well you know um i'm a little bit of my after life after the feds you know i'm doing the foundation with Miss um, Huntsman as well, but you know, I, I I feel like I have a great personality and I, I've always been told like I'm very funny and people always come ask me for advice and things like that. Mm-hmm. So in the future, in the near near future, I'm going to be having my own t- YouTube show is going to be called Two Cents with Teddy B. like common sense you know so um (laughs) so you know i'm gonna be you know just having conversations with other people and just getting their input on different situations and putting my two cents on that so follow me
1: teddy b (laughs) and then for me my life after the fence is southern taco because i i'm a chef i cook that's my passion that's my gift awesome yeah, so you can find, look at my website. It's www.southerntacoinc.com, and that's where you can see all the skills and abilities I have. I do catering, so if y'all want to book me, go find me there. And check this <laughs> out. Life after the fix. I always say hashtag LATF. Yes, yeah, hashtag LATF.
0: <laughs> that's fantastic. And I, I'll link to all of that on our, on our show notes page so everybody can check all of that out. And uh, I just want to thank you guys so much for, for coming on the show and, you know, sh- sharing your story. Cause this alone is so powerful, you know, doing this interview and this will reach a lot of people. But yeah. then from there, I mean, with life after the fetch, you guys are going to have a huge impact. So I can't wait to see what happens.
2: And thank, thank you, you so you much for having us. Thank you yes. and your
1: platform. Cause it's
0: much yes. no, you, really You're welcome. That. You're
1: very, <laughs> you're very welcome. The way, <laughs> you know, cause your, your platform needs to be used on a, you know, a, a huge level because felony Fridays, and you know, I think it's really awesome what you're doing, even giving us, you know, letting our voice the opportunity. So mm-hmm. you are a product, this a part of this process of life after the feds. Because if it wasn't for people like you, hey, we wouldn't be heard, and that's just. <laughs> it's I'm honest. I'm
0: glad to glad to play a very, very small part in that. But <laughs> <laughs> Thank you both very much.
2: Thank you're you. welcome. Thank uh, you.
0: I want to thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I want to thank uh, Taisha Huntsman and Francine Williams, a.k.a. Teddy B uh, for coming on today's show and really sharing from the heart, sharing their struggles, what they've been through, but also how they're turning that around, flipping it around and giving back. And I, I am so looking forward to this project to see what comes out of it. Cause just getting to speak with them there and uh, getting to know them a little bit, I know this is going to be big. I, I I just I can just feel it, and it's going to powerfully impact a lot of people. So I'm really looking forward to it. And you know, one of my favorite things that I talked about a little bit during the show, but I just want to dig into it a little bit deeper here. I won't keep you long. Won't keep you long. But one of my favorite things about this show is getting to talk to people, of course, like Taisha and uh, Francine. Hearing them share their stories, but also seeing people like them, seeing people who have been through the ringer of the criminal justice system. And not only that, but they've been through the ringer of life. Um, You know, they've had struggles growing up. They've been, they've had many obstacles placed in front of them. And they talked about it that really, you know, people don't just end up in prison. Uh, People don't just break the law you know you don't just all of a sudden I mean occasionally it happens sometimes just somebody breaks the law and it's not out of pattern but what uh, what Taisha and Francine were talking about really you know they're the root cause of what is going on of what is causing our prisons to be filled is it's happening in our communities it's happening at the the family unit level and these issues you know really nobody's addressing them. Of course, our government's not addressing them. They don't give a crap about them. You know, they're you know, they wouldn't say this, but they're happy to keep prisons full and they're happy to keep recycling people in and out, and in and out, keep that uh, recidivism circle going. But it's so great to see, and I've, there's been many. You know, I could name a tons of guests who've come back, come back on this show who they've been to prison and now they're working hard to change the system, but not just change the system through. Um, you know, like Michael Montsevai, who we talked about, who's really working hard to get uh, people skilled uh, to have a you know a welding certification when they come out of prison, something like that. That's what Michael's doing, which is great. It's awesome. I love that people are doing that. But what uh, Francine and Taisha are doing is they're even going back into the community before people go to prison and trying to address those issues there, which I think is. Just so, so phenomenal. And that is what needs to be done. If we don't correct the problems there that lead people into into the despair, into the depression, into the just bad circumstances that result in people making decisions that put them in a place where they end up in prison, then we're never going to break the cycle. If we don't break the cycle, then what the heck are we doing? So. That's why I'm excited. That's why I'm excited about this show. That's why I'm excited to see the reality show that comes from these two. So I'll stop it right there. I just want to let you guys know that if you like the work I'm doing here on Felony Friday with Lions of Liberty, please consider supporting us financially. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty and looking at the options we have there to join, to become a member of our Lions of Liberty Pride There's a bunch of perks we have from bonus content to merchandise to uh, monthly calls with us and everything in between. Please check it out. Consider backing us financially. If you like this message, if you want it to spread far and wide, if you want to really have an impact, please consider backing us. Um, Or if you drink coffee, too, we also have The Morning Roar, our Lions of Liberty coffee. And you can get that by going to lionsofliberty.com. Slash Coffee, and every uh, you know every all the coffee you buy through that link is going to come back uh, and help the uh, the Lions of Liberty in a very small way. So, thank you guys so much for your support. I will leave it at that on this beautiful Friday morning or afternoon or Saturday whenever you're listening to this. And I hope you guys uh, have a great weekend. And I'll talk to you next week. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up, and the fire is a Liberty burning.